good news for everyone. And so as we look at it, we're going to look at Philip's encounter. We'll talk about who he met, where he met him, and what he did once he met him, and finally, why it matters. Who he met, where he met him, what he did when he met him, and then why it matters. So let's talk about who it is that Philip met on the road. As he's introduced, we learn that he's an Ethiopian eunuch. I'm not going to get, there's no need to get graphic, but it's exactly when you hear the word eunuch, if you've heard the word before, if you, if you haven't, pull your phone out and Google it, and no giggling. He was a eunuch, and all that entails. And uh, that's the introduction that, that we really get to this to this man. Now, uh, you have to understand in, in uh, the time in which Luke is writing, Ethiopia is not situated in the location that it is on your modern map of Africa. It would have been more in the location of what we uh, know today as the Sudan. Okay, so coming down out of uh, Palestine um, into Egypt, Egypt then as now, and then just below Egypt, you would have began the Ethiopian region. And so this gentleman was from that Ethiopian region, just below uh, modern and uh, modern and ancient uh, Egypt. And the text tells us again that he was a, a eunuch, and that is that is a detail that, as you you will see as the story rolls on, is a very important detail as to why. This uh, story is included. What he basically tells us is that the man was the secretary of the treasury for the Ethiopian queen, the ruler of Ethiopia. Um, the title that's given there is she was the Candace. That's not her name. Her name wasn't Candace, queen of Ethiopia. Um, Candace was a, a title that was often used in, in that uh, day and age in some regions. And so she was the Candace, or she was the Queen of Queens, really, would be kind of the way. The terms are kind of being piled up. Um, but so she was the Queen Mother or the Queen of Queens. She was the Candace of this area. In other words, she was the top. Uh, she was at the top. She was the ruler of the Ethiopian um a region, and um, and Luke tells us that this gentleman, this eunuch, was in charge of her treasury. It says literally of all of her treasures. So she had this man who looked over her money. You know, today we had the secretary of the treasury, but you don't have to worry that the Secretary of the Treasury is going to abscond with all of the wealth of the United States at some given moment, right? Or uh, that he's going to become infatuated with someone uh, in your royal court and they're going to, they're going to get together and decide to uh, do away with you so that they can keep all your money. That, that, you know, that's, those days are long since over. Our, our, our banking system's far too complicated for that. But in this day and age, she had a treasury. She had a location probably, maybe several locations where her great wealth was stored. And that wealth gave her her power. And she had an individual, and it was this eunuch, 
who is in control, in charge. He was the protectorate of her wealth, which means he was the protectorate of her power. He's a significant individual. And he had tremendous power in the the Ethiopian region. Beyond those things, we know something else. We know that he was a wealthy individual. He himself had great wealth. It would make sense, right? Um, You wouldn't want a poor man in charge of your money. Um, That would have been... That would have been dangerous. Uh, and so she has someone in charge of her money who himself, either by her gratuity to him or by his own individual dealings, had great wealth. And we know it from several reasons. It doesn't, the text doesn't necessarily tell us explicitly, but it tells us implicitly that he was wealthy. He rode in a chariot. That's the beginning, right? He traveled from the Ethiopian region all the way to Jerusalem in his own chariot. Now, get out of your head, uh, you know, the, the Pharaoh riding in a chariot with a, in a horse drawn, you know, gold emblazoned, uh, one individual. Think more of our Western carriage. That's the idea. Um, and, uh, and, he would have probably had a driver, maybe an attendant. There could have been several people traveling with him. We don't know if there was an entourage or not. But the very simple statement that he was traveling in his own chariot tells us wealth. The second thing is that he had traveled a great distance, right? So he had come from the Sudan region today all the way to Jerusalem in his own chariot. That's ox-drawn. Okay, so you have animals involved, you have lots of stops. So the, 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 very, the mere fact that he made the trip indicates to us he was a man of resources. He was able to make such a, such a journey. The third thing is, he was in possession of his own scroll. He had his own Isaiah scroll, at the very least, with him in the carriage. Some of you recently got to go um, and see. Uh, oh gosh, what was this? What, uh, Josh McDowell was here and uh, at the lake, and and uh, he did a little thing. He he had a big scroll rolled out uh, first. The scroll of Isaiah, at least he had at least a section of it. It would have been very large. It's a cumbersome document. Okay, um, this isn't you know this these aren't note note. This isn't a notebook. These are large, heavy, unrolled documents that would have been it would have been challenging. That's why the, the idea that he probably has some attendance with him is true. They would have been holding that for him, okay? And um, and in those days, you didn't just own a scroll; like you didn't have your own library of scrolls. Only someone who had great wealth would have a scroll. There was no printing press. Every scroll that had ever been produced until the printing press was hand done. Um, they were they were quite large. They were very valuable, and he had one. And he not only had one, he traveled with it. I mean, it, it's a remarkable story. That part of it, in its own right, a traveling eunuch from Ethiopia with his own Isaiah scroll in a chariot. Let's just pile on one more element. 
he was educated. It is estimated that in Palestine, at this point in world history, 3% of the population could read. He's an Ethiopian eunuch with his own Isaiah scroll, riding in a carriage from the Sudan to Jerusalem, and he's reading. This man was educated, he was wealthy, and that heightens the entire aspect of this, of this whole encounter, this whole story. We learn more. We learn in the text that he was also a worshiper of God. He had been to the temple in Jerusalem in order to worship. Now, this, this brings out all sorts of questions, okay? Because he's a eunuch. <clears throat> and so what we know is, first, he wasn't Jewish. We know that. Second, he, um, he was, uh, he was at least, at the very least, what we could say is that he was a Gentile. We know that he wasn't a proselyte, so a proselyte would have been someone who was a Gentile who converted to Judaism and had gone through all the rites and rituals. He wasn't that because Deuteronomy tells us in chapter 23, verse 1, that a eunuch was unable to receive those rites, thus becoming a full proselyte. So, what is he? Commonly, he would have been referred to as a God-fearer. Which, if you want to boil it down, means he was a man without a religion. He was a wanderer. He, he lived in a spiritual no-man's land, if you will. He, <clears throat> he couldn't do a whole lot with respect to the temple. He had nowhere else to go. He wasn't worshiping other gods. He was worshiping the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he wasn't allowed full entry. And so he existed. He lived in sort of this spiritual no man's land. Religiously speaking, nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted to touch him. In a sense, right? They didn't, they didn't want him to be a part of their, quote, fellowship. Let's look at the second section. Where did Philip meet him and what did Philip do for him? So, <clears throat> the passage tells us that the Spirit prompted Philip. This is a really important detail because in the, in the uh, book of Acts, now we talk about the Acts of the Apostles, and one of the things we said early on is, if you really want to boil it down, you really want to think about it, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Act of the Holy Spirit. right? Because the Holy Spirit is moving, directing, guiding the story. And so in this story, what happens is, Philip, whom we just heard about at the beginning of chapter 8, is prompted by the Holy Spirit to go out and to go to this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, which Luke tells us it was a desert place. And he is to go and he is to find this man. So let's just look at it. Verse 26, go south on the road 
uh, <clears throat> go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then on his way, he met this important official, right? And the Spirit told Philip, go up to that chariot and stay near it. Now, what that tells you is either Philip was a really fast runner, <clears throat> or indeed this is exactly what we would have uh, expected, and it's an ox pulling a chariot at a very, you know, clippity-clop kind of a steady pace. Because Philip is able to run up alongside the chariot, and as he's there, and this this is completely foreign, right? I mean, this whole thing. Philip's probably got to be wondering to himself, what in the world am I doing? And why are you taking me out here? <clears throat> but he gets up next to the chariot, and as they're going along, he hears the man reading. Now, you and I think, okay, that, that's a weird detail, because when we read, we read silently. How many of you all sit you know, in your quiet time out on the porch and read aloud. You don't want the neighbors to think anything, right? Like, He's out there reading again to himself. <clears throat> but in those days, you typically read aloud. So that was just kind of the normal routine of the day. We, uh, when Mark Vitato was here, he talked about the, the, uh, <clears throat> the muttering, right? And uh, the muttering of the text. And um, and that's how you would have read. You would have read out loud. You would have read the text aloud. And so as he gets up next to the chariot, he hears the man, and he's reading the text of Isaiah. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> And he asks him, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, no, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Verse 31. And so we read that he invites Philip into his chariot. He has him come up into his chariot. <clears throat> and he's already heard the text. And so Philip begins an explanation of this text for the man. Specifically, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> Those are the sections that we have in the passage. Now, Luke's a detail guy, right? So this is kind of a really important function for him. The section that the man was reading coincides with the questions that he asked, right? Because if you look at that section of Scripture, you could come away with the various questions that the man himself began to ask Philip. And he asked the man, uh, he asked Philip, verse 34, tell me, who is this that the prophet's talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Right? So he's confused by the text. He doesn't really get it. <clears throat> and Philip, we read, through the Scriptures, begins to tell him the good news about Jesus. Twice in Luke 24. Two different times in Luke 24, we have... We have stories that are recounted of Jesus doing exactly the same thing, right? So he did it with his apostles, and then he did it with the men on the road to Emmaus. The text says that he began and with the um, with Moses and with the prophets and with the wisdom books, he showed himself to them in Scripture. Here's what I want you to kind of just just think about. He's not talking about a couple of promises about Jesus. 
right? That, you know, okay, if you read this one, just if you think about this, this one promise, okay, that's Jesus. That one's Jesus. No. All of it pointed to Christ. It wasn't just one passage here or one passage there. You know, Philip didn't just have a couple of tags, you know, a couple of things memorized where he was going, okay, all right, you see this one? That's Jesus. No, he would have began exactly the way he would have heard Jesus have done it, then Peter's done it, right? This is a familiar tool. It's a familiar way of of opening up this good news, the gospel, of what Jesus has done. And that is to begin way back here in the Old Testament and to begin to show how it was that, you know, think of it this way, you know, uh, kind of the uh, prepping of the battlefield, so to speak. I mean, how it was that first there was a need at all, right? And so he probably would have begun with the fall and then the call of Abraham. And then he could have moved to Moses and the tabernacle and then the temple and David and Solomon. And he, he probably would have gone through all of these figures. They would have been figures that would have been known. And he showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those things, how they were shadows pointing forward to the point at which John 1.14 would happen, where the Son of God would come and tabernacle among us. He would make His dwelling in our midst, and He would rip the curtain in the temple. You know, all of this could have been fodder for Peter's com- or uh, uh, Philip's conversation with this gentleman as they traveled about. But the interesting part is that... He responded to the good news. If you look at verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him what? The good news about Jesus. I love that. The good news about Jesus. And so as they traveled along, the eunuch said, they came to some water, a small amount of water, you Baptists out there. This wasn't a big swimming pool. They were in the desert. There isn't, it was impossible that he was immersed in this puddle of mud. That's a whole nother sermon. He responded to the good news and that's why he asks, look, there's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch got down. They went into the water and Philip baptized him. Why does this gentleman matter? Why does he make it into the book of Acts? What's so special about his story? Lots of people were believing. Lots of people were hearing the good news and responding. What is so special about the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he was a God-fearing Gentile. A God-fearing Gentile unable to be fully integrated and engrafted into the Jewish community of God. And he, he, had, he obviously believed. He obviously understood from his Old Testament scriptures who God was. 
And he wanted more. He, he wanted to understand. He wanted to know this God. Now think about his story. Just, just imagine. He has traveled. So I went and, and I, I Googled mapped this, okay? You can do it. Go Google map Cartouche, Sudan, to Jerusalem. Today, 112 hours by automobile. Right? And it's nearly a straight shot. And when you look at the map, it's not that long. But the roads, even today, are so pathetic between those two areas that it would have taken 112 hours via automobile. This guy was in an ox-drawn cart. It took him probably weeks to make the journey. He gets to Jerusalem in time for the festival at the temple. Maybe for the first time to discover what? He can't go in the temple. He's not allowed entry. And so there they are, the festival, the feast, whichever feast it was, that's probably why he traveled there. All of this is happening. Meanwhile, he's sitting in the courtyard. Uh, let's put this, let, let's, let's use a, a better illustration. Give me your favorite artist. First one I hear. Somebody you would love to see. Come on. Somebody just say Neil Diamond, right? <laughs> Paul Anka, did I hear that? Elvis, all right. That's a great one. Elvis, all right? Let's say you live in Tupelo, Mississippi, and Elvis is playing on Broadway, all right? And so you get in your car, and you drive from Tupelo to Memphis, and you get on a plane, and you fly from Memphis to what? Ah, let's, let's make it really bad. Houston. All right? And in Houston, you have to connect flights in order to fly to New York City. Okay? So you make the flight, which is terrible in itself. We were just having this discussion yesterday. You hate flying. And so you get down to Houston, you change planes, you fly all the way to New York City, you catch a cab, because there's no Uber when Elvis is living, okay? And uh, and you take a cab from the airport all the way to Broadway, and you get there, and they deny you entry. And you can kind of hear the guitar. And, and maybe every now and then, a little bit of that wailing coming out. And people are exiting. And Elvis is playing for hours, right? Hours. And, and there are women walking out and they've got a scarf. And, and they're telling stories of what it was like in there. And they're happy and they're joyful and their pilgrimage paid off. And you're standing on the street. And then after it's all over, you go catch another cab back to the airport, you fly to Houston, you fly to Memphis, you drive to Tupelo, and that's it. Disappointed? Disappointed? Oh, I know some of you. Oh, yeah, you're disappointed. 
You're going to be on next door talking about that one, right? Absolutely. This man had traveled for days, maybe weeks, to attend a festival in Jerusalem. Only to be told that because of his condition, because of who he was, because of what had happened however and whenever or wherever in his life that made him a eunuch, he was not fit to go in and worship the true and living God. Now, you tell me, there they are, they're going down the road, and Philip looks at him and says, I can tell you about that guy. I can tell you who that is. That man is Jesus Christ. You know what? Not too terribly long ago, you may or may not have heard the news, they crucified him on a cross. And when he was crucified, at at that hour, it went completely black. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, black for three hours. And the the veil in the temple was torn in two. Did you know that? And now there's access. And we have access. And guess what? You don't need a temple anymore. You don't need a tabernacle anymore. Guess what? You don't even have to make this dumb drive from Sudan, from Ethiopia, to Jerusalem anymore. Because through Jesus, you can worship the true and living God in Ethiopia. You don't have to travel anymore. You don't have to go to a building made by men anymore. Because the true and living God has come to you. Good news? Oh, man. Telling me good news. And oh, by the way. It's for everybody. You don't have to look like me. You don't have to talk like me. You don't have to do job like me. You don't have to... Nothing. It's for everyone. All who will come to Christ and turn from sin. The gates are open. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come, buy and eat. Wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not satisfied? Right? Can you imagine that conversation? And the eunuch got it. You mean to tell me that I can have that kind of 